Hey there, MuggleCast listeners. I am back to inform you of some excellent news. GoDaddy.com is having better deals than ever. For only $3.59 a month for 12 months, you can get GoDaddy.com's economy package. With 250 gigs of bandwidth, 5 gigs of storage, and up to 500 email accounts, you can get your own website up and running with success. And as usual, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out. Save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This week's podcast is also brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to AudiblePodcast.com slash MuggleCast today for details. Because it's looking more and more like the final film will be split in two, this is MuggleCast, episode 132, for February 17th, 2008. All right, well, uh, this week. I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is I am too awesome for this show. The good news is Matt and Mike are here. That's right. I don't really get that. What? What's what do you mean? What you just said. What? Why is the bad news that you're too awesome for the show? Um Are you leaving? Um what? Are you really? You, you've become too awesome that you're leaving the show, and that's the bad news? Well, I considered it last week. In uh, My letter was actually a big lie, as everyone found out, but um, I was actually considering leaving the show because I really am too awesome for this show. Um, but speaking of this week's show, we have, we have a lot to discuss this week, some interesting new developments in the news, and of course, chapter by chapter. And we're going to introduce two new segments that this week that are spin-offs of segments we've been doing for a while but it's time to put a new twist on them a new twist a new fun twist i'm andrew sims i'm micah tannabelle and i'm matthew Britton. Micah Tannenbaum's in the MuggleCast News Center with the past week's top Harry Potter news stories. Hey, Micah. All right, thanks, Andrew. The 50th annual Grammy Awards were held last Sunday night, where it was announced that Jim Dale, the narrator of the U.S. Potter audiobooks, received a Grammy for his reading of Deathly Hollows. Jim also won back in 2000 for Goblet of Fire. The Daily Telegraph has a new article focusing on the continuing rumors of the final Potter film being split into two parts. When these rumors started one month ago, all we heard from Warner Brothers was a big, no decision has been made. Now we hear from the film's producers. From David Barron, he says, we are still discussing it. The announcement will be made hopefully in the not-too-distant future with regards to the way Seven shapes up. 
The only negative of splitting the book into two films, says Barron, is that people could possibly perceive it as being one last chance at cashing in. But the real positive, if we were to do that, would be that we wouldn't have quite the battle we always have of how do you compress all that book into just over two hours of screen time. From David Heyman, a couple of people have expressed interest, he says. People have gotten a few calls and a few emails, but it's still a year away. We won't start filming until next February, so it hasn't really gone bananas yet. We've got thoughts, and I'm sure something will be announced in the not-too-distant future. And you may remember last week we reported Steven Spielberg is one of the candidates being considered for Deathly Hollows. However, at the BAFTA Awards, Digital Spy reported Dan Radcliffe told the press these rumors are not true at all. He said, I have no idea how that rumor started or where it came from. It's not true. How's that for a definitive answer? It's absolute rubbish that Spielberg is directing the final film. It's not true. There's absolutely no foundation in that at all. Currently, there isn't any word on other directors being considered, but we expect an announcement in the coming months. In a new interview with MTV, Clements Posey revealed that her character has been cut from Half-Blood Prince. She also told MTV that she hasn't read the final three books. Author J.K. Rowling was presented by the Literary and Historical Society of UCD in Dublin with the James Joyce Award this week. Over 600 fans turned out to see the author read from Deathly Hollows and answer 10 questions. Finally, in a new interview, Jason Isaacs, the actor who portrays Lucius Malfoy, discussed his absence in Half-Blood Prince. At the recent BAFTAs, he told Rotten Tomatoes that it was a source of great embitterment in the Isaacs household, but he's an Azkaban, so what can you do? However, he has high hopes for the last installment. That's all the news for this February 17th, 2008 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. Alright, thank you, Micah Tan, the MuggleCast Anchor Newsman. That was interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of news this week. Uh, I mean, a lot. I mean, there is. It, 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 my roller coaster theory, man. I'm telling you, it's it's one week you got nothing, and then the next week it's woo. I mean, some weeks it's so way. bad you have to throw the news to yourself and then thank yourself after it's over with. <laughs> uh, oh, geez. I think that's because nobody wants to intro you. It's actually kind of weird because um. Not to change the subject at all, but Matt's actually at my house this week, and he's recording in my basement, and I can hear a slight echo every time he talks, because like, everything in the basement can be heard throughout the entire house. Is that true? So it's like, yeah. Hello! Yeah. Yeah, I can hear that. My parents are probably like, what the... Anyway, um, let's get to the news. Michael, what do you think the biggest news story was this week? The biggest news story? Hmm. Yeah. Ooh. I would say, personally... <laughs> The one that hurt the most is there's no um, Clement Posey in Half-Blood Prince. Now, why did that hurt? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... um, Does that have to do with the popular phrase, sex sells? (laughs) Maybe. Perhaps. Um, Mm -hmm. But she's French. She is. And, uh, but but we'll get to that. I think the, I thought the biggest news was uh, David Heyman's comments. Or was it um, a mixture of him? And um, what was the guy's name? I apologize. I'm blanking. David, David Barron. David Barron. Yeah. Talking about yeah. Deathly Hollows. And finally, we get to hear a little bit about if this movie is going to be split or not. Yeah. And it's really interesting because there are a couple of questions that this article itself raises. Um, but this is really exciting to hear from the producers themselves because just a few weeks ago we got you know an official word from warner brothers via uh some some website uh it was you know 
uh, no decision has been made yet. But now here's David Barron and David Heyman, the producers, the people who have a very large influence in this decision, speaking out about this. Um, what gets me about David Barron's quote, uh, what, what gets me about David Barron, what he said, what was, um, let me, I quote from uh, news.com.au, the only negative of splitting the book into two, into two films, says Baron, is that people could possibly perceive it as being one last chance at cashing in. But the real positive, if we were to do that, would be that we wouldn't have quite the battle we always have of, quote, how do you compress all that book into just over two hours of screen time? Yes. Was he listening to our show a couple weeks ago? It sounds like he might have been. I he has to. I mean, where else can they get that stuff from? Yeah. I don't know. We come up with innovative and thought-provoking discussion here. But th- their only problem with this is that people think uh, – is that they don't want people to think they're just cashing in. Because obviously, you know, that is a that is a real concern. A lot of, a lot of skeptics may see it as that, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, so it, it's just uh, – this is – I think this is a very, 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 very good sign of what's to come from – from just David Barron. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and he's speaking like a true fan. You know, they realize the concern is they, the beauty of it would be that they would not have to cut the book well, down. the fact that he's already in defense, he's already defensive about why they're, why if they choose to put it in two halves just makes it even more certain. You know? Yeah. He says, well, I mean, that wouldn't be the case. So, guys, don't, don't, don't be too upset if we do it in two parts because <gasps> we just might. Right. Yeah, and I think it gives it a whole lot of traction now, meaning that this is a real discussion that they've been having internally. It's not just some rumor that's been thrown out there. Uh, if these guys are taking the time to actually address it and the words that they used make it seem like they've been having a lot of talks about this. Um, right. But the one thing that isn't addressed as far as splitting it into two is could they actually do it uh, in the way we talked about a couple weeks ago where they put in an intermission or something along those lines as opposed to with what David Barron said talking about um, cashing in that gives me the impression that uh, if they did split it it would be two completely separate films yeah yeah, I think that makes perfect sense I mean you know I and I agree with you Mike completely that's definitely what the impression is yeah and I've also gotten the impression that they they actually want to split it because if you're going to invest the time in making this film longer by possibly you're possibly doubling the length that's going to double the production cost so you will have to make more money off of this i mean you know it's not necessarily cashing in but you need to still balance your your profit versus your uh, expenses. Well, they know. already know they're going to get a big profit because it's going to be the final film of the series. So yeah, they're, they're like... going to go all out for this one. So I just, so it's, it's, I think it's just great that the fact that they're even just talking about, even if they're not going to split it into two movies, that they're even just considering talking and debating about whether it's cut into two parts just shows how dedicated they are to making the final film the best. Well, here's my big question that I mentioned earlier. My question is when did David Barron and David Heyman say this exactly? Was this two months ago? Was this a month ago? Was this last week? Because the impression betting man Andrew has received <laughs> is that if he were a betting man, he would think that a decision has al- already been made. So I don't know if these quotes are are 
very recent. I'm thinking these could be a little bit older because David Heyman says a couple people have expressed interest. People have gotten a few calls and a few emails, but it's still a year away. And if I was a betting man, I would bet on whatever you bet on because whenever you're a betting man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just if I was a betting man. Well, I would say probably at least this month they made those comments because when he says uh, it's still a year away, away. then his next quote starts off about them not starting filming until February. It had to have been recently. But on the other hand, the script does not get written in February. It gets written, that's true. you know. No, that's but much true. But, it's, uh, but also the writer's um, strike may have delayed it. Although, wasn't it supposed to end? We're recording Tuesday. Wasn't it supposed to end Monday? I think it's over, but, isn't it? Am I wrong? I, 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 I don't know. They were about to reach something. I saw a website about you had to vote or something like that yesterday, yeah. or which was Monday. Well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes out of this, but... Uh, I think these are very reassuring signs. This is this is a very interesting article, probably one of the m- more interesting or- articles we've had to report in a few months because this is coming straight from the producers. Of course, uh, when myself and a few other fan sites were on the set, we also asked them about the, the movie Split, but we can't talk about it. So it's like, you know, they didn't... I, I will say they didn't confirm anything officially, but... Um, we, you know, this definitely seems like it's going to happen if I were a betting man. I guess we'll move on to other news and we'll continue to follow that. I'm sure once uh, the news breaks officially, we'll... Oh, oh, the other thing that got me about that article was that they both said in the exact same words, an announcement would be made to quote both Heyman and Baron in the not too distant future. They both said the exact words not too distant future. So, it seems like they already do have a, a decision made and they're all throwing around in their emails and phone calls and IMs and text messages and Facebook wall posts that it is in the not too distant future. And they're probably told that's exactly what you should say when asked about it. <laughs> Maybe. But that but not too distant future means soon. Yeah, that's why it's called not too distant future. Right, but when I'm, but Heyman's sort of contradicting himself because he's like only a few emails have been thrown around, and you know it's a huge decision. But 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 an announcement in the net. Not well, that quote future. should so, also confirm that they've made the statement pretty recently. Otherwise, the not too distant future would be now. Well, that's true too. <laughs> but the question is, Micah, what is the future? The future is now. Oh man. I think of the year 2000 from Conan when you just said that. In the year 2000. In the year I've actually 2000. been there when they've done that. I forget who I saw do it. I think it was David Duchovny. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but Speaking anyway. of David Duchovny, um, Jim Dale picked up a Grammy <laughs> Award for his reading of Deathly Hollows, which was fantastic. That's awesome. He, um, he, won, he won back for Gobble to Fire, and he won again for Deathly Hollows. How was that? Connected to David Duchovny. Um, they both have the letter D in their name. Oh, yeah, nice one. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Impressed? Oh, I'm happy for him. Yeah, I mean he he's got a good voice. He does the voice. Doesn't he do the voice for the the theatrical trailers for the Harry Potter movies too? No. Are you sure? Yes. Does, isn't there one guy who does the the voice for every single movie trailer oh, in the no, world? Oh no, no, dude! I'm a film major, so I know these things. <laughs> it was a time <laughs> of dance. Um, 
No, no, Jim Dale doesn't do the trailer voices. Oh, I, I thought he did. Okay, the guy well, who does the trailer sorry. voices was on some of those commercials. Do you know which one I'm talking about? The TV spots for the films? No, no, no. Th- th- that guy who does the movie voices or the the trailer voices. He's you on mean a, from that commercial, the the Geico commercial. The Geico, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, that's I'm one sure of them. Yeah, the no, that, that's one. the most popular guy. Oh, God, I forgot his name too. But no, there's there, there's there's a group of people. Not one person can do all the th- trailers for for the title. That's insane. The guy would never get any sp- sleep. Yeah. Um. So congrats to Jim Dale. That that's a, that's a fantastic uh, award, and should encourage more people to buy the audiobooks because they are a great read. We'd like to remind everyone again that today's podcast is also brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like MuggleCast. If you're into Harry Potter as much as we are, we recommend checking out Twilight, a book we've discussed on MuggleCast a few times. You've heard from our listeners about it, now you can give it a try free on Audible. Just visit audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast today to get your free audiobook. Once again, it's www.audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast for your free audiobook. Um, let's see. Other news here. Uh, just one more little tidbit. Uh, I know there was a lot of discussion last week about Spielberg, Spielberg directing Deathly Hallows because of that quote from Richard Griffiths, but uh, turns out Dan Radcliffe told the spy.co.uk that it's absolute rubbish, folks. Rubbish. So, he used so. British slang for it. It's got to be true. Yeah, that's absolute rubbish. Well, it is rubbish. I can't um, believe people actually thought Steven Spielberg would actually direct them. Well, it does seem a a tad unreal. I don't. I don't know. It wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if he uh, was definitely under consideration. Um, I, I would be happy though if they got John Williams back. That would be a plus if Steven Spielberg directed it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and. I don't know. This was kind of the question I had going back to last week, but why would you necessarily need Steven Spielberg for John Williams to make a return? You wouldn't, do you? No, because Alfonso Cuaron did it too, but... Um, so he only worked with ju- certain directors? It, it seems like that, though. It it kind of does. He he seems to like connect with people he's he's either worked before or people who are good friends with people he's worked before. Oh, okay. I just didn't know. I I I don't think he's done films for um, for for movies that he doesn't really know the director well. I mean, it, it's it's kind of it does make sense because you you really need to collaborate with the director and everything. You need a kind of a relationship somewhat. Yeah. And the guy's I'm not, eighty. I'm not so. sure that the, my thoughts last week also were that I wasn't quite sure that Deathly Hollows needs Steven Spielberg. Not to sound no, arrogant no, in it, a way, but. All these other directors have kind of found their own way with the Harry Potter movies and, and made them their own. And I think that you know, even bringing back other directors that have worked on the other films or perhaps some sort of collaborative effort between a bunch of them might not be so bad. I don't think so. A big budget director for Deathly Hollows that hasn't already directed the, the previous films I think would be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Like someone like Steven Spielberg, he's already an established director, and he would definitely. I, I honestly think Steven Spielberg would make Deathly Hollows more of his movie rather than a Harry Potter film. Right. That's that's a good point. Let's make a checklist. What do you need in a director to direct 
the final film. I think you need someone who has read the books, really enjoys the books, and can connect to the fans. So that's one thing. You need someone, I agree with Matt, who's directed the films before, because you have to know, you have to know this cast and crew for this final movie, because this is very important. Well, not just even direct the f- this a film before, but directed a film that's pretty relevant to the film that you're going to direct. Yeah, but it would also, I mean, you already have a, a selection of, what, four directors to choose from to to direct, so... Definitely a director who's very familiar with Harry Potter, because this book is a collaboration of all the previous six novels. So, mm-hmm. it's 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 a... I think it's kind of overwhelming for a person just brought into the whole world. Combining seven novels together, you have to know all the knowledge for each one of those to actually get the seventh book to really stand out and make sense. you got to have a director that's going to bring back Clemence Posey. I don't know what <laughs> David Yates was thinking. David, we have well, to maybe talk. it wasn't David. Ah, Offset. Jeez. It could be Heyman. Well, maybe I really be. hope they at least what, just What about David Heyman? I mean, would he ever consider directing? He's been there, though. Has he ever directed? No, no, I mean... Di- now, that would be amazing. I would love if he were to direct, but I th- I feel like he's probably got enough on his plate being the producer. He's definitely... Yeah. I mean, he he has enough say in the films. He, pra- he practically directs it himself, too. Yeah. He is the producer for a lot of films. The Giants of Groyle coming out in 2008, The Occupants coming out in 2008, The History of Love coming out in 2009, of course, Harry Potter in 2010, We're the Millers in 2009. So, yeah, he's got a lot on his plate right now. I don't see anything where he was a director, though. He's probably not a director. He's just not, yeah. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Yeah. You know, now that they're extending the film, if you're going to extend the film and turn it into two, put more extra care about it into it. I mean, this is really, really good news seeing that they're going to split it into two parts because they want to put extra time into it, which is fantastic, which shows that they care about the fans. Mm-hmm. And they don't care. They're not just doing it to cash in. in David. Oh, Barron's there's another parts, checklist so. for you. Having the time to do two films. Oh, yeah. But it'll because- be filmed at once, no? Yeah, right, but it's still going to take longer. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because a lot of a lot of directors that are experienced tend to take on more than one project at once. All right. Well, I guess that's enough of that. Um, speaking of taking on two projects at once, we have a few announcements this week. Uh, we want to remind everyone we're going to be at Portis 2008. That's hp2008.org. It's a Harry Potter symposium at their Potter podcast, Palooza, full of pickles. Um, we're going to be there with a few other podcasts, and it's going to be a night of podcasting, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So um, it's going to be in Dallas, and it's going to be in July, and um, it's going to be awesome. So uh, visit hp2008.org for more details, and you can also sign up uh, and register for uh, the conference, and we hope to see you there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have something else to announce. Uh, my lifelong dream finally came true Friday nights at Penn State in State College, Pennsylvania, where I attended uh, MuggleCast listener Vivian's 15th birthday party, and she had uh, the Remus Lupins there, uh, mainly Alex Carpenter and Toby Carlin. And... Um, while they were rehearsing before the show, they were like, uh, you know, they were looking for an, uh, another song to add into their set list. And Alex was like, hey, hey, Sims, you you want to do the uh, you want to do your Wizard Rock song? And I was like, do I? So um, 
we rehearsed a couple times and I performed it and it's now on YouTube. It's featuring, it's got my awesome lyrics. I got, uh, Samantha Friedman, former MuggleCast transcriber on, uh, uh, on backup lyrics. And then we got Alex on guitar and Toby on drums. It's fantastic. If you like my wizard rock single, go to MuggleCast.com and, uh, there's a link to the YouTube video. Matt, what did you think of it? You were there live. Did oh yeah. Oh my God. It was like, <sighs> It was okay. <laughs> okay, that's kind of mean. But okay. all right, it was it was it was great. All right, I'm getting a lot of good feedback on YouTube on the YouTubes. Um, thanks to Jennifer Levine for uh, filming that for me too. That was good. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Uh, link it can be found at MuggleCast.com. God, I'll tell you what, it, uh, it was so exciting. I loved it. Um, and one other thing, while I was with Alex this weekend, um, we don't have anything really set yet, but you know, we've been doing, we've been talking about this spring tour that we're still trying to work out, but, uh, Alex Carpenter also brought up the idea of doing another summer tour like we did this past summer, um, probably covering the West. Yeah. Yeah. West coast. So I don't know if we're going to do it yet, but I'm what? Stop complaining with the emails. Yeah. Hey. Which I don't get because you guys were out there last year, right? But we didn't go too north. We didn't go very north. Um, Seattle, Seattle, yeah. right? Yeah, go to, like to. We're actually SoCal. Alex to, was talking SoCal up hmm? to Oregon, Washington, and in Canada. He want he he wants to go up to Canada too. So just a little bit, yeah. We'll we'll see. You know who we can get together to do this. Um, it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, we had an absolute blast on the last summer road tour. It was seriously. I mean, greatest time of my life. Like it was just so much fun meeting all these people and traveling the whole way. But um, yeah. So that's still very early on in planning stages. Again, don't don't get too excited yet. I'm just letting everyone know because all these people who are going around be like, "Oh, Mugglecast is dead." Well, no, we're still planning lots of live shows for you guys. So yeah, we'll update you in the coming months. And uh, just on the spring break tour, um. We're still waiting to hear. <laughs> that's a, that's about the best update I have. Yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, I think as we mentioned before, we we went one uh, way and that didn't really uh, work out. So we're we're trying some other things and we're gonna have to put this together pretty quickly. But hopefully we can. Yeah, very quickly. So, <laughs> oh. um, no, really. It will have to be quick because it'll be less than a month. But if you are, well, let's say this. If you are um, planning on coming to this East Coast tour, if we do it, hopefully, we're hoping, it'll be like a, a just a little over a month from now. Um, block those dates out, 15th to the 20th. Write MuggleCast in your calendar. And, uh, yeah, with a we'll question mark. <laughs> yeah. We do know one thing. It will be free. And we do know another thing. It will be fun. Let's, uh, let's move on to Muggle Mail now. We got, a, we got quite a few emails this week we wanted to talk about. All right. The first mail comes from Melanie from Australia. She says, oh, we need Andy to do this, man. Good day. Good day. Good day. I was listening to episode 131 where you discussed the Dursley scene being taken out of the Haplet Prince movie. You all said that the most important things about that scene was Dumbledore's hand and his interaction and the humor of it with the Dursleys. I would have thought that the most important part of that scene would have been Creature. 
They seem to be cutting him out entirely, which would make his placement in Order of the Phoenix pointless, which was pointless to begin with, and his storyline in Deathly Hollows obsolete. J.K. Rowling recommended that he be put in Order of the Phoenix, as he would play an important part later, but I get the feeling that they are not going to use it in any way for the Deathly Hollows movie. What do you think? Keep up the good work, Melanie. I think they can actually put it in Deathly Hollows if they make it into two films, in fact. Yeah, this all goes back to last episode and us talking about where the movie's going to begin and, and also how important we thought that this scene was going to be. And I think it really goes to the overall picture of a lot of stuff being left out of uh, Half-Blood Prince. I know we mentioned before Flora being left out. And it, what makes me wonder, you know, you see all these characters not being uh, brought back for the sixth film, but th- that worries me in the sense of how they're going to do Dumbledore's funeral, if they're going to do it at all. Uh, because there are a lot of people there um, that we haven't seen yet been named for uh, for this film. Yeah. We haven't even seen Scrimgeour been casted yet. Right. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think they will cut probably Creature from the sixth film. Because basically, if if you have Creature in the sixth film, you have to bring back Dobby as well, don't you? Because aren't they in the same scenes together? Yeah. Doesn't Dobby bring back Creature when Creature had, when Harry has to tell him something? Or I ask a so. favor or something. Uh, yeah, it's kind of well, but I don't know. It's well. I think his role is bigger in Deathly Hollows. Oh, it's definitely better to leave him out of that. I mean, that's why J.K. Rowling said he at least needed to make an appearance in uh in uh, Order of the Phoenix. I think Dobby, you can kind of dance around him a little bit because he's not as integral to the story until, of course, Deathly Hollows again. I mean, it's great that he's there and he makes his appearances, but I can see how they could leave him out. I can see them actually leaving out Creature and Dobby out of the sixth film also. I wish they didn't, but... I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? I don't know. I just... I'm very skeptical of all this because they're... they're they have about four months left of filming and you know, they've done six months. How can this, they cut yeah. Scrimgeour out of this movie? All qu- I don't know. Oh, this is, this is, uh, I don't know. It's, it's somewhat worrying, but yes. it would be a great opening scene. I mean, we talked about this also last week and how the movie would open. And I, I can't remember Andrew, if you cut this out of the show when Eric had the realization that the movie would open with Spinner's End as opposed to this scene, um, which uh, we thought would end up being Harry and Dumbledore walking up the path to uh, Slughorn's house. But then Eric realized uh, that Spinner's End comes before that. But I think it would be a great opening to have that discussion between Scrimgeour and the Muggle Prime Minister. You know, yeah, yeah. You, it's important. You sort of, I think it's learn. a very ominous way to start. Although it seems like I the, agree, isn't it? And it's also one of the last times you see um, Fudge. Yeah. On her email here, though, I, I mean, I know Creature is in this chapter that we were talking about, but 
I mean, it can really just be overlooked by a conversation between Dumbledore and Harry, where Dumbledore says, you know, Sirius left you Grimmauld Place, you know, Grimmauld Place creature and Buckbeak, and that's it. You know, I don't really know that he needs to make an appearance. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll bring back Buckbeak and Half Blood Prince? Because it was a it was a, a big project in Prisoner of Azkaban, and it, it seems like all the big project, especially the characters that they um, CGI, it never returns unless it's the biggest. It has a huge part. They do keep them though. They do well. I mean, I'm saying like with Dobby, and yeah, yeah. Uh, which is disappointing to the sort of crazed fan, I guess, if you call him that, or the you know, kind of like what you were just saying. I mean, we don't want all these things to be left out because you know we like to just have that being in there, even if it's only there for you know ten or fifteen seconds, because it shows that they pay attention to the books, yeah, and they're not going to neglect the fans. And like, you know, David Barron's quote, they cash in. So who cares? It's I don't really think that the cost should be an issue about them, including a Buckbeak or a Dobby or a creature. They make it seem like it, but yet these movies rake in so much money. It's it's a wonder why they use that as the excuse for not including them. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also each film does get more expensive than the previous one does, too. I, I, it's. I mean, we're, we're probably not really considering something that kind of makes a big deal. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. Like, I don't even like. Okay, I'm I'm not one to like brag that I went to the set, but I went to the set and I don't even know these answers. <laughs> so, I think we just have to wait and see what they're going to do. Back to my original point, though, it is worrying that they're six months in the filming and we still don't have, don't have a full list of casting announcements. Yeah, and but we haven't heard many sense. casting either. We haven't heard any major casting since when? Since what? Would you well, even, would you count even? Um, I think the last Pansy- casting we heard about was like young Tom Tom Riddle. No, I think it was Pansy Parkinson. Oh, oh, it was. Yeah, that was just that was really recently, actually. Yeah, but we're talking about big casting. Yes. I mean, not since Jim Broadbent, I think. Well, to be honest, I mean, you're talking about major characters. Not to belittle young Tom Riddle or Pansy Parkinson, but I mean Lavender Brown, even. No, she was cast. I know that's what I'm saying. She she, she yeah. she's not really that uh, big of a character. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to diminish their roles, but you know, we're ta- I'm thinking more along the lines of for Half Blood Prince, Slughorn, Scrimgeour, the Gaunts, um, which are another group of people who haven't been cast and seemingly getting closer and closer to what looks like being cut from the film. It does. You know, it does. It does. It does really kind of look like they're basically centering a lot around the students around Hogwarts this time. Like, yeah. Like like they said, it's, it's starting to be like a romantic comedy. Yeah. And I I just hope they're not not delving too much into that genre and kind of go away from what actually the book is about. Yeah, and what about um, which centaur is it that teaches divination in this book? Um, friends, friends, friends. Yeah, I mean, are they bringing him back? They didn't even bring him in to, in the fifth film. <laughs> Let's move on to the next email now, though, because you know we actually did get a lot of feedback about um, you know that discussion about how the Hapless Prince should open up. So uh, we'll talk about it more next week. You know, maybe we'll just talk about it little by little. Um, 
as the movie gets closer. Our next email comes from Smee from 19 from Flooded Australia. Is that really a name? Or is- no, I think she's saying that it it Australia is flooded right now. Oh. Hey, guys and girl. Just wanted to correct you in on your discussion of Grindelwald acquiring the Elder Wand from Grigorovich. You guys mentioned that the power of the wand mustn't have transferred to Grindelwald because he didn't duel Grigorovich. But that isn't true. Right before he jumped out the window, Grindelwald shot a stunning spell at Grigorovich, effectively winning the wand from him because he had outsmarted Grigorovich, winning him the Elder Wand's allegiance. I had thought that you didn't see need to fight the person in order to get the wand from them. You just had to outsmart them in some way. Though, as Joe writes in later chapters, the Elder Wand has a bloody history because everyone believes you must kill the previous owner in order to win the wand's power. Also, just a note to say that Joe described Grindelwald uh, as having delight in his handsome face. And when he shot the stunning spell, he was described as handsome, not beautiful. So, there. By the way, whatever happened to the whatever happened to the outcome of Andrew's fastest show close? I was looking forward to finding out, but we never did hear anything on the next episode. Anyway, look forward to next week's episode. Love, Shmee. Smee. I, I, well, about the fastest show clothes, I don't know. We never got an email comparing the time, so I don't know. So what do you guys think? Uh, I don't know. Mikey, you want to feel this one? Cause I, I was because really... I was on last week's show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, this all goes back to we were having a debate, or, or, or I guess Mikey and Eric were, were talking about Mike, how... Mikey and Eric were talking? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. You, you take that out, please. No, that was funny. No, uh, that was funny. That was funny. Um, uh, I think the point that she's trying to make is that um, last week we had mentioned that Grindelwald didn't actually acquire the wand in a in a dueling fashion. He just took it, and so he was never the true owner of it if that makes sense and I think what Smee is arguing is that well he shot a stunning spell so that is how he was able to take the wand but I mean I guess it goes back to if you know really how the ownership side of it works because if you if you look at what Draco did I mean he only disarmed Dumbledore that's how he became the new owner of the Elder Wand. And I guess that goes to her point about Joe saying that um, it had such a bloody history because the people thought that you needed to kill your opponent in order to acquire the Elder Wand. But in reality, if you look at it, I mean, with the Draco situation, he didn't kill Dumbledore. He just disarmed him and then the power was transferred. So I guess something as simple as a stunning spell can transfer the power as well. I mean, I, well, that also goes back to the first book too, when um, when everyone had um, the assumption that since um, Dumbledore defeated uh, Grindelwald, that he killed him. But right, defeat right. doesn't technically mean you kill; it just means right. you you overcome them in a battle or something. Yeah, and it's also why Joe was so quiet on the issue for so long never really defining what she meant by the word defeated. And I guess now we all know why in this book. Um, now, Vanquish, uh, that's, <laughs> that's kill. 
Let's move on to uh, the next email. It comes from Jordan16 of Roanoke, Virginia. Here it's a MuggleCasters. While listening to episodes 130 and 131, I heard a lot of debate about Ron's magical ability. One incident in one incident in the books has made me sure of Ron's magical power throughout the series. In Chapter 7 of Chamber of Secrets, when Ron is puking up slugs after his wand backfires, Hermione says that the curse he used was difficult to work at the best of times. Ron cast the curse with a broken wand, and aside from it coming out the wrong end of the wand, it had the exact effect it was meant for. And he was only 12 at the time. Think of how much better his spell work must have become over the years. I honestly think that Ron is the most powerful and useful to everyone, including himself, when he doesn't think about what he's doing. If he thinks, he second-guesses himself, which is the worst thing to do while under pressure. That's just my two cents worth. Love the show and keep up the great work. Um, I agree with that point. I think that's I very good point. I think that he's the most powerful of himself. I, I, let's not go overboard here. I don't think he's the most powerful of all of them. But I do agree about, and I think maybe this is what Joe's getting at, when you overthink something, you can second-guess yourself. And let me give you a real-world world example, and some people are going to relate, and some people are going to think it's really stupid. When you play Dance Dance Revolution or Guitar Hero, you can't think about what you're doing. You just have to stare at it and just not concentrate. If you just let it, if you just don't focus intently you will play or dance much better than you would if you focus on it. And and trust me on that because I've I that happens to me all the time and when I'm showing people how to play it, you know, that's what I tell them to do and it makes a difference. You just can't focus on something or like Jordan says you'll overguess yourself. Second guess yourself. Second guess yourself. Third guess yourself. Good point. Yeah, no. Um yeah, yeah sure, it's not that stupid. Okay. Oh, good. Glad we agree. Um, next email I have to take from Christian Wagoner, 17 of Tennessee. I'm just kidding. You guys don't want to talk like that. Um, he or she writes, um, hey, how do you get such a clean sound from the conference call that you use to record your podcasts? Um, and my answer to that is that we're actually awesome. Who wants to read the next email? The, the last email comes from Jean Grey. <gasps> Interesting. Did she, <laughs> did she from die? Lansing, <laughs> Illinois. Um, she says, uh, I've recently begun listening to your wait, wait, podcast. Wait, wait, wait. For all of us at home, who who's Jean Grey? I don't know. She was X-Men. an X-Men. Oh, I don't know. Sorry. Not you don't watch X-Men, Andrew? No. And, and you're supposed to be a nerd? No, I'm not a nerd. Oh, are you a geek? No, I'm cool. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, I've recently begun listening to your podcast, so forgive me if you've already addressed this question. What do you think about turning the Harry Potter series into a weekly television series, either in live action or a cartoon format? Thanks. Love the show. Um, I, I put this I email in here because we get this question from time to time, actually, and I just think... I just think we should go on the record with our thoughts about that. I mean, at this point, Harry Potter has sold out so much theme park merchandising, such as T-shirts, cups, mugs, book bags, blanket, you know, everything is Harry Potter now. You know, I think a TV show with everything, with everything Harry Potter that's out there today, nothing adds new plots or anything to the, to the, to the Harry Potter story, whereas a TV show would, unless you're actually turning the books into TV shows, but then that that rules out the movies. So 
you know, it, it overlaps on the movie. So I don't think this would ever happen ever. Yeah. At least not with, not with the already written Harry Potter series. Right. I mean, I was, cause you read it to me, um, yesterday and I was, and I mentioned, well, if anything, they, they would have to probably do it with like a prequel to it. Like, like high school or like Hogwarts with, um, with the, uh, the marauders or you know just something like that but i don't i i I don't think that they would sell out harry potter that much to it to make it a television or cartoon series yeah live action i think is is going a little bit too far i could see cartoon uh if if anything uh you know this way they don't have to worry about cost of you know house elves and things like that uh which they seem so concerned about right but um, I can see a cartoon format, possibly of um, of of the plot that already exists. Yeah, see, that's I can see like maybe an animated could. prequel. I don't. I, I honestly, I don't think they're going to remake anything that has already been done. But to Matt's point, I think it would be a Marauders type uh, storyline. Maybe they could tell the story of when they were in school. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I think maybe post uh, Deathly Hollows is a possibility. I don't think that, uh, you know, like Andrew, you were saying before, I don't think you could take this, the seven books and, and redo them because you have the movies. Why do you, why do you need a TV series? Right. I wouldn't mind seeing like an animated version of it. Could be a lot more easier to do. Have, wouldn't have so much limits. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really don't see them <clears throat> remaking anything. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Well, yeah. Okay. I, I agree with you guys. I just thought it was worth mentioning really quickly. Don't overdo it. <laughs> no, yeah, we're not. Um, okay, so let's move on to chapter by chapter uh, now. We were going to do two chapters this week, but then we realized, ah, uh, well, there's only three of us, so we'll just play it on the safe side and and uh, do one chapter, and that chapter is chapter 15, which is called The Goblin's Revenge. To kick it off with a short summary, basically the trio are continuing their search for the Horcruxes and they're spending um, more time in this in this chapter in the forest just camping out. And this th- these scenes have sort of been criticized by a lot of people because it's like, oh, they're just hanging around camping and it's, it's kind of boring. Um, so we'll get into talking about that a little bit later. But at the end of this chapter is a very cool scene that we're that at least Matt and I probably Mike it too all are really looking forward to see in the movie and that's a big fighting scene at the end between the trio uh but first Matt you want to start off with uh Matt Eye's eye yeah um the chapter starts off with Harry waking up first before Harry and Ron do and um he sets out looking for um a place to bury Matt Eye's um sw- swiveling whirling blue eye and um, in the book, um, it says it describes that the tree that he's looking for is trying to find the oldest, the oldest um, gnarled, um, resilient-looking tree. And I thought that he, he that that kind of described as what Matai Moody was in um, in recognize of the order. Like he was he was the old, more, older, more experienced one. He was kind of gnarled-looking, and he was the most resilient of um, the order. I would say. Yeah. Would you say that? No, it's a good catch. Yeah. That's actually really cool. 
<laughs> I, yeah, yeah, because Joe doesn't even really point that out. You just sort of have to read in between the lines there for that. That's why I read really slowly, Andrew. I thought you were just dumb. No. Hmm. Hmm. Learn something new every day. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was just... I'm sorry, but... You know, we talked about this on the on the road tour a bit. We've talked about this on other episodes too. But I just did not like how this chapter progresses in the beginning. They're just they're just spending time in the the forest, going around to different locations, and nothing's really happening until, of course, um, the little group shows up uh, right by their campsite. But well, that's the whole point of the chapter. Well, it's the fact that they're not doing anything, and Ron and Hermione are starting to get uh, doubtful of of Harry's ability to to do this task. I know, but shouldn't yeah. the trio had shouldn't they have had researched it a bit more, or just with what? I realize they're they in the woods. Gone, what they're in the woods. I realize they couldn't have gone to Grimwald Place, but this just should have all been executed better. And obviously, everything worked out in the end. But I, I just. I don't like this part of the book, the, this this specific um, area, which is where they're going through the forest. I just think uh, it's too dull and typical. Uh, I don't know. I have to agree with Matt, though. I think it was put in here to show th- just w- exactly what was going on. It, it's sort of there to build up the whole fight that takes place at the end of the chapter. And, you know, the fact that they're not getting information, that they're not learning anything new, that there isn't a plan. Um, and... You know, anything that, you know, Harry is just in a position now where Ron and Hermione are talking behind his back and they're scared because they don't really know if they can trust him in the sense of knowing what to do moving forward. They think that Dumbledore had this great plan that Harry is following, but it turns out that they were wrong. And I mean, that's why it shows the fact that they're moving from place to place and the season is changing. It's just to build up all this like angst between them. And you know, it, I don't know that that's just my thought on it. Yeah. I agree with that too. I mean, um, this is, this is basically one of those moments where they realize that how much, um, influence um of information they had when well, you know when Dumbledore was alive or they always had someone to go to but n- now they're n- realizing they have to do everything themselves they have to be the the clever resilient ones and not rely on at the the last moment someone coming in to help them with great information or something they have to do it themselves and there's and there's and I think this is one of the, those moments where Harry is the most alone out of everybody because he's always had Hermione and Harry always having his back, but now that he's seeing that Her, Harry, um, Ron, and Hermione talking behind him, um, de- obviously sh- um, not hiding their um, the fact that they're kind of doubting Harry a little bit is makes yeah. Harry seem for somebody like- who. Yeah, for somebody who's always shared information, every piece of information with them. You know, he feels kind of left out, and um, you know, it, obviously you can always, you know, make it out to be these quote-unquote useless chapters or useless scenes where they're just going from place to place to place. But I think it also shows you that 
you know, just the reality of the situation that they're in and, you know, the reality of the war that they're in, that they have to keep moving from place to place, that they have to cover their tracks, you know, make sure that nobody knows that they've been there. And every place they go, they have to put up new enchantments. And it, it, it's kind of just an you're constantly on the run, you know. It's, yeah, it had to be there. It does take oh, a toll okay, on okay, you. Okay, okay, okay. I guess you guys are right. I get it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, nice. You bring up a good point. It's it's all hey, to Matt, set up you the owe, end of the chapter. You owe me ten bucks for making uh, Andrew convinced. Yeah, but okay. this isn't going to go on, in the movie. I, on that bet we had, all I, right. and maybe one scene where they're like, you know, in there, and you could you could see Ron and Hermione like talking behind. Harry's back, and maybe even yeah, we'll get to hear what. That's what a saying. huge slap in the face, too. I mean, your friends, your how can you talk behind their back? Although it is definitely the locket doing most of the work, because Hermione isn't really the one who's who's really angry at Harry. She's just kind of taking whatever Ron says, you know. Because you know, when someone rants to your friend, you pretty you, even if you don't agree with them, you just sit there and go, "Yeah, yeah, I know." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next thing we wanted to talk about was the conversation between the goblins and the Muggleborns. Um, big surprise here. Dean Martin makes a little cameo. Dean Martin. Uh, Dean Thomas. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Dean Martin. That, that that would be quite the cameo. <laughs> it's like Steve Martin. What are you doing here, dude? I yeah. don't have any movies going on. So that would be. Right here. Yeah. Plus, um, pretty sure he's dead. So, uh, yeah, no, Dean Martin, Dean Thomas, sorry, uh, makes a cameo, and um, who else is there? Um, two go- goblins. One was um, Griphook, and some other one. The other was an oh, unnamed and, one, oh, wasn't it? Uh, 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 Ted Gornock. Talks. And Ted was Talks, <laughs> right? Ted Talks is not a goblin. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, but he's there. <laughs> but he's there. I, I I don't know what the other guy's name is. I think was he's unnamed. Isn't he? Mike Gornick. Or? Gornick. Something. Oh, or not? He's unnamed in my mind. Um. Sure. Yeah. He. Go ahead. No, uh, I was just gonna say. Yeah, sure. He's unnamed. So. So they were talking about uh, three things in particular that we wanted to discuss. First of all, uh, the trio finds out that Ginny, Neville, and Luna all tried to steal the sword of Gryffindor. Um, why? <laughs> um, why do they steal it? It, it? Does it ever get explained at the end of the book? Yeah, I don't know. Minka, do you know? Uh, you know, uh, I'm afraid of saying something that's going to be wrong. Yeah. I I don't know that it was ever explained, but this made me think. I mean, did Ginny Wait a minute, here? wait a minute. I know. Okay. Dumbledore left it for Harry. Ginny probably told them that that is Harry's and they want to steal it back from him. Yeah, but how would how would Ginny know that Unless she overheard the well, she, Harry may the have told contents her. of the will. I mean, we don't know everything they do. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's my thought. Um, so I guess that was that was a pleasant surprise. But just my immediate reaction to that was, all right, come on, guys, you're not, you're not, you're not the the new trio. Let's just 
you know, leave it up to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. It's a bold move, and I guess if I were Harry, I would have really appreciated that. Although, you know, they, I guess Harry and Hermione were pretty excited to hear that. Ron, not so much because of the punishment, but yeah. well, I, yeah, it, we'll it talk shows about them, Ron in a minute. It shows them there's a revolt in Hogwarts from the students. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um. Next thing, Snape sends them to, well, like we were just going to say, Snape sends them to Hagrid for a punishment, and it's just to the for- Forbidden Forest. Um, originally, like, when you're first reading this, you're, you you don't know what Snape's done, but then, of course, they do find out. Now, Matt, did you, did you think this was a clue for something? When I read it, I definitely thought, because um, I was still on the fence if Snape was good or bad, and I thought since, I mean, since, since Snape is, is like the big representation of the Death Eater, supposedly, in in Hogwarts, and wouldn't he do something worse than just send them to, to Hagrid in the Forbidden Forest? I mean, it just seemed like that was kind of a clue to where Snape's loyalty did lie, because he knew that if he sent them to Hagrid, they'd be they, they wouldn't get a bad punishment. Yeah, they would probably just be over there feeding um, Buckbeak or or something. So yeah, I I do think that's a um it's an interesting little thing to note. Which surprised me why Ron would get so upset about it, uh, because if anyone knows being with Hagrid is a safe place to be uh, even if it isn't a place like the Forbidden Forest uh, that's that was kind of weird but I guess it, again it was the Horcrux it, I uh, think it was definitely the Horcrux who blew it out of proportion and yet also you know Ron d- does kind of he- um, have a little hes- hesitation with Hagrid and the Forbidden Forest because of Grop and the spiders right right yeah, I think it was definitely the Horcrux. And then another big holy bleep moment was that the goblins revealed that the sword at Hogwarts is a fake. And they were all proud and excited. They were like, yeah, pfft, waste of time because it's a fake. Yeah, well, why are they so happy it's a fake? I mean, they don't even know where the original one is. Well, I think they are so happy about it because because the goblins the, the goblins think they own the sword. Well, they technically do. So, they were happy that theirs, the real one, didn't get stolen, right? I guess, yeah, yeah. And then the big, the big, and the the biggest development in this chapter is that they finally figure out how to destroy the Horcruxes with the Gryffindor sword. Um, this was revealed by Phineas Nigilus Nicholas Phineas Nicholas. Just say Phineas. Phineas. This was revealed by Phineas, of course, in the portrait. And um, this was a really exciting moment for two out of the three of the trio. Yeah. I mean, it, it described uh, Harry punching the well, – what is punching the air? I mean, do you is, – is it when you do a boxing move, when you start hitting just playing dead air? It's when you go – I wish it was a video cast right now. You go, yeah! You, you just – like um like Mario, like, like in some of the newer Mario games, he sort of is like – it's just when you throw your fist up into the air. Oh, okay. Just pretend like there's 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 a balloon right above you, and you're just dying to hit it. So you just look up and you punch it. Okay. That's what punching the air is. Only there's no balloon. Try it. Try it sometime. And they also and Hermione also says that not only is it um, made of uh, 
goblin armor, which only gets stronger as as it gets beaten down. Is that what it says? But also, there's basilisk um, venom that's um, pregnated into the into the metal. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Moving along here. So. Harry and Hermione become very excited about this new discovery because now they know how to destroy the Horcrux, which, let's let's be honest, it's a big development. Even if they don't know where the sword is, it, uh, this is the next step in the pu- in the, in the in the you know puzzle, I guess you would say. Uh, Ron and Ron, Hermione, and Harry get into a heated argument because Ron is very concerned that um, something else has happened to his family because um, the people in the the camp next to their camp. We're talking about, oh, the Weasleys don't need another injury, blah, blah, blah. So, Ron, this worries Ron, and, you know, it should. I mean, yeah. any any human would be worried that more of his family is hurt. So, Ron explodes. Um, not literally. He just, you know, um, metaphorically explodes. And do you think it was right, Matt, for Harry to not be concerned for Ginny, Neville, and Luna, first of all? First, I don't think he, to- wa- he wasn't he wasn't unconcerned or anything. He was relieved more than anything, but he I, I, he didn't show. He showed more um, um, excitement for the fact that they finally got a great piece of information that they've been looking for. That that both Ron and Hermione have been um, uh, they've been shoot. They needed to know. Yeah. Well, th- that they've been waiting for too. I mean, yeah, they they, they were also they. I don't know the word. I'm well, sorry. I think you're looking at two completely different types of people, um, or maybe th- I think Hermione and Harry are a little bit closer in the type of person that they are. Uh, Ron's somebody who's probably never been away from home very much. <gasps> That's also uh, what he said. He said that in the book. Family. He's, yeah. He 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 singled Harry uh, and Hermione out because you know they. What, what did he say exactly? Well, there was a part in the chapter where he was really eager to know if Harry was seeing anything through Voldemort about his family. Which, if you think about it, is kind of stupid because if he's seeing anything about his family through Voldemort, it's probably not the best thing in the world for the Weasleys. So. I, I think he was just trying to get any piece of information he possibly could. And, you know, with his family being in trouble, um, there was that one point where, uh, I forget what he says to Harry, but Harry talks about his parents uh, and the fact that they're dead. Yeah. Um, Actually, let me, let me go to that. If we could get the exact quote. I don't remember exactly what he said. Um... Oh, yeah, right here. Uh, on page 309 of the U.S. edition, um, Ron says, Oh, you're sure, are you? Right then. Well, I won't bother myself about them. It's all right for you two, isn't it? With your parents safely out of the way. Uh, this is Ron. And then Harry yells, My parents are dead! In italics. Harry bellowed. And mine could be going the same way, yelled Ron. Which uh, is a good comeback, I think. Score one for Ron. And... uh then Harry goes, then go. Go back to them. Pretend you've got over your spattergrate and mummy will be able to feed you up. And and then they both draw their wands and are about to fight. But then Hermione yells, Protego! And, you know, blocks the uh, 
spells, whatever they're yeah, going to fire I mean, at each other. That's, that's a pretty ignorant comment on the part of Ron, um, you know, uh, yeah. what he said. That they're out <laughs> of the way. Yeah. I mean, I think the point Ron's trying to make is that they don't have to worry about their parents. I mean, whether they're dead or in Australia or not, they they don't have to worry about them. So Ron has something else to worry about. He's got this he 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 has people to worry about that are not with he, him. He does have more to lose in that in that kind of aspect. Yeah, yeah, but so does Harry. I think in a way. Um, well, Harry has because, a huge weight on his shoulder, but you got to think from um, Ron's point of from Ron's perspective. He's yeah. he's had a huge family that has been very close, and he is yeah, well, really. Far they should away. be in the order. I mean, they are. they put themselves in that position. Right, but but um, still, honesty. but still, you still have family you have to worry about. It doesn't matter, you know, what position they're in, whether they're, you know, whether they're in the order or they're just not in the order. It doesn't make a difference. You still have to be protective. It's like the motherly protection we've talked about so many times on this show. Ron's got a a family protection, and he so. and he's oh. feeling. Um, upset because he's been sitting for a few weeks not not actually getting anything done and this whole time you know he's worrying about what, what his family is 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 what's happening to his family right now does he even have a family anymore i mean he doesn't know anything so he's getting very anxious right so it is justified yeah, yeah not in the way that he does it though i mean he's bl- essentially blaming harry for all this and if you think about it yes it is his fault but Ron also agreed to go and do this. So he's got to realize that he made the conscious decision to go along with Harry and that he's in this position because he chose to do that, going back to the whole idea of choices. And I think Harry, for as nasty as the shots that he takes are, you know, saying, oh, go back to mummy, blah, blah, blah. It's true, because that's the type of person that Ron is. And he doesn't realize it until he goes back, just how spoiled in a way he is. Mm-hmm. And also, he's, I mean, I, I think the locket really just um, exaggerates and amplifies every emotion that you have. And he he may not really be he, – he may be thinking this, but I don't think it's as blatant as he put it out when he argued with Harry. I don't think so either. Do you guys think that if Ron took the locket off, it would have made much of a difference? I really don't think so. No, I don't think so either. No. And I think Harry recognizes that in the chapter two. He says, no, this is the truth. This is what's been waiting to come out yeah. for a while now. Yeah. But he also – I mean, not to go in, in – ahead in the book but it, it it took a while for it to wear off i mean he started to realize i mean after ron left he started to realize what happened so yeah, yeah. yeah. and he realized what the things that he said and he, that's not really what he was about right well and i think the end of the chapter is relevant too because i'm sure that probably plays a role and we see it later on with the horcrux uh when it materializes more um with Harry and Hermione and the fact that Hermione chose to stay with Harry mm-hmm. instead of come with Ron. You know, she said it too. She goes, she, she says that I chose, I chose to stay with Harry and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Let's see. What, yep. what did she say? Are you staying or what? She goes, yes, yes, I'm staying Ron. We said we'd go with Harry. We said we'd help. And then he goes, I get it. You choose him. And there's this, love triangle that doesn't really exist. But I thought this was really interesting because 
during this part, you really see Hermione's love for Ron. It's you. You can tell that she's losing. Um, what's the best way to put her love interest? I get. I don't. It's just the way that she left him. Yeah, it does show her uh, what what her feelings are for Ron, in respect as her feelings for Harry as a friend. Yeah, because you wouldn't see. Uh, I don't think you would have Hermione um, screaming after Harry if he did that. Right, I agree. At least not crying. Mm-hmm. Because then she started bawling when she came back in the tent. Yeah, and uh, I looked up the stuff on the sword. I can't find a reason as to why they tried to steal it. So if somebody knows. Email us. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps there was... Uh, well, email us if your name begins with one of the letters of the first half of the alphabet. That'll help cut down on emails. Seriously, don't. Okay, so the last part we wanted to talk about in this chapter was the rain. The rain in this chapter is so movie-like. The rain begins with a soft pitter-patter, and then the the, the argument slowly starts. Then the rain gets heavier, and the argument gets heavier. And then the rain's pouring down, and it's raining cats and dogs, and they're arguing like cats and dogs who don't like cats and dogs. And it's just bad, and it, you know, it's it's great storytelling, but it's also very movie-like with how and movies. It's very theatrical. I'm no film major, but I'll tell you what. I've seen enough films to tell you. In these movies... Yes, very theatrical. The rain will start, you know, it'll be cloudy, and there's sort of something ominous going on, and then it'll start raining, and then something terrible happens. So, um, very good uh, illustration of what's what's going on, and I hope I it's so. carried over in the movie. Especially with um, emotional scenes, and especially with rain, they, they, will, they will put it in. It's just a lot easier, um, even for the, for the actors, because if they really can't pull off that argument, the rain will help. Um, bring out the the feeling of the the, the emotion, scene. yeah. Now, um, all right, so that's it. I think uh, it's time for quote quiz, 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 whoa, 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 bringing it back. It's like a boomerang quote quiz. Um, this week's quote is: "Isn't that a Death Eater idea? Why is that there?" Hmm, that's from chapter sixteen. Why is it there? I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll discuss next week. Um, uh, next week's chapter is Godric's Hollow. So that'll be... A, might bring a tear to my eye. <laughs> <laughs> wow, weird. Okay, so um, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, we're going to put a new spin on two segments we've been doing for a while. I'm really excited about this because they get a nice little refresh. Uh, the first one is favorites. We've been doing favorites for a while now. Gosh, I would say maybe in the '60s. The episodes in the '60s, we were we started this segment. I could be totally wrong, but uh, so we've always been talking about our most favorite. So um, this week we're gonna play least favorites, where we <laughs> talk about what our least favorite of something was. Um, and this week we're going to talk about uh, an email sent in from Emily14 of Arlington, Texas. She actually gave us this idea. She says, hi, I'm a big fan of HP, but not a fan of the movies. I was just wondering what your guys' least favorite HP movie is. Thanks. P.S. You guys are doing a great job. Um, who wants to start? What is your least favorite movie? Mike or Matt? I'll go first. 
I, I'm going to give a pass to the first two just because I think that they needed to be the way that they were, kind of more lighthearted and yeah, I agree. childish in a way, um, because it was about them being introduced to the Wizarding World. Um, of the other three, I would have to say, and Laura would disagree, um, Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I was a big fan of the book, and while I know Alfonso did a lot of good things with the movie, um, the fact that the Marauders were left out and not explained kind of ruined it for me. Um, if you were a non-book reader, you probably had a lot of questions at the end of this uh, movie as far as who these people were and how Lupin knew any of them, although it was kind of explained at the end. Um, that would be my answer. Yeah. Matt, your um, least favorite. Well, I kind of agree with um, Micah saying that we should leave the first two um, leave them I alone. I agree with that too. Even though I really did not like the second movie at all. But I'll I'll, I'll let Chris Columbus go with that. Uh, I would have to say that my least favorite so far is movie five. Only really because it's real, my favorite book. And I think that happens with a lot of people. Like their favorite book, they have so such high expectations. And they're usually let down with that. Especially with the Harry Potter books. Like every single person I know whose favorite book is usually their least favorite because, you know, they left out so many of their favorite moments. And that is no exception to me. I I did not like movie five very much because it left out a lot of um, things that I really wanted to see. And they left in... Well, they just left out so much crap. Yeah. I think this is a hard decision. After listening to you guys, I still don't know. Um, but I think I agree with Matt that Order of the Phoenix, well, I I did love it. I I really did love Order of the Phoenix. I just think it was the biggest letdown in terms of what to expect with just the buildup of that film with the trailers and, um, it was my favorite book too. And I loved it, but at the same time... I didn't like some of the transitions with, you know, going through the newspapers and the flashbacks were just, all the flashbacks were just a real turnoff to me. And the scene at the end with Dumbledore and Voldemort fighting, I was so looking forward to it. I was really, yeah. truly believing that was going to be the most amazing scene in a Harry Potter film thus far. And it was just a letdown. Well, they left off so many things in that scene. They left off the statues right. coming to life. They left off um, Fox coming to Dumbledore's aid, which was my favorite part of that entire scene. And 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 they really messed up the whole um, Harry being being um, uh, when when Voldemort came into Harry when he was being possessed. Yeah, there was nothing. It was just like- so different from the books. It's like oh. What are you doing? Um, um, yeah, and I mean, we—I guess the one we haven't really touched on at all would be movie four. And I just thought that with the way they cut it down, they—they they did a good job with Goblet of Fire. I mean, Mike Noel did, did a, a really good job. High we talked about they this did, last yeah. week. 
you know, with basically the first hundred pages of the book going by in about five minutes. Yes, that was the um, thing. They did a great job compressing that darn movie down to they did. something that covered everything, but it, it got it got the job done. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, they they took out a, a few characters, but they knew what characters is they really needed to keep, and yeah. uh, and I th- yeah, I I I didn't like Goblet of Fire after I saw it, but then after I saw it a few times, you know, it starts to grow on you. But so far, Order of the Phoenix hasn't grown on me at all. Yeah, yeah and, and same here. I think in Goblet of Fire, the other thing I would say was they went a little bit overboard with the whole trying to make sure the the audience knew that Moody wasn't really Moody. I mean, just they they dropped way too many they hints did. throughout the course of the film, and they didn't kill. Um, Barty Crouch Jr. at the end with the, the Dementor, so most of the fans think that he's right. still alive, pretty much. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I did love Umbridge, like like I loved her in the book, but... Well, she made the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without her, that... Yeah. Totally. She did a fantastic acting job. If you have a uh, idea for least favorites, maybe we'll try to do favorites and least favorites, but with different subjects each week. To really mix things up. Uh, let us know. Send in least favorites. Try to come up with something creative since we're talking about our least favorite. It can't be like least favorite soundtrack song because there's so many, you know. You just or book or I least mean, favorite book. I guess too. it could. Yeah, there's lots of these we can do. So uh, send them in. Mugglecast at staff.mugglenet.com. Make it easy for us. Put uh, least favorites in the subject line, please. Least favorite character. That's a good one. Yes. The next segment we're going to put a new spin on this week is Make the Connection. But instead, it's going to be Make the m- 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 Music Connection. Um, do you like that, that intro? Sure. I'm going to start was... animating every all, all of our new segments. I'll do it again different. for all you at home who, want to, who don't want to rewind. <clears throat> Make the m- 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 Music! I'll practice it more. Why don't you just add a, a sound clip, you know, like, a song that has music in it. Because I don't have that sort of technology yet. Well, I do, but you're 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 lazy. Actually, no. Well, yeah, it's partially that. But no, nah, I d- I just like having it all set up for live shows. It's you like much. to hear yourself. I do make the m- 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 music. Okay, so anyway, what we're gonna do? Well, I'll explain it to you. Um, this was actually sent in by John Curl, nineteen of Menham. New Jersey. I've actually never heard of that town. But um, uh, this was his idea. He writes, I have a cool idea for a new segment. It came to me when I was listening to the latest episode of MuggleCast during the Make the Connection segment. You basically take any song and either A, connect it to Harry Potter in some way, or B, find a spot in either the movies or books where it can be used as a soundtrack. Like, for example, the song Bring Me to Life by Evanescence would be perfect for the final battle in DH. Let me know what you think, Andrew. Love the show and you are my idol. Aw, that's sweet. From John Curl. Um, so, <laughs> I actually just realized I didn't even really prepare any. Um, <laughs> but here, I'll, I'll do this. Um, Matt, for the final scene in Order of the Phoenix where Harry... And we'll focus on Order of the Phoenix today. When Harry and, or sorry, when Dumbledore and Voldemort are dueling, if you had to pick one song to fill that gap instead of those cheesy sound effects they had in there, hmm. what, sound, or, any song? Any song. Um. Oh, okay. Um, how about um, "The Saints Are Coming" by U2 and Green Day? <laughs> okay. All right. 
The Saints are... Co- See, we might have to set this... This is just a test run this week, but yeah. uh, maybe, maybe we'll set it up so we come up with music ideas ahead of the time, and then we can play them or something. I don't know. But, um... Okay, and... Micah... Um... We'll stick with Order of the Phoenix. If you had to insert a song in the scene where Umbridge gives uh, Harry his first attention when he starts writing with the special quill, what song would you add there? When specifically when Harry's first discovering what the what it does, what the quill does to his hand? Wow. Oh, I got a good song. I think I do. How about An Innocent Man by Billy Joel? Oh, yeah. That'd be oh, good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Well, um, Thanks, if guys. you guys have any ideas for Make the Commu- make the, make the Music Connection, um, just send them on in to MuggleCast at sap.mugglenet.com with Make the Music Connection in the, in the subject line. And... Like uh, John said in his email, you can either A, connect it to Harry Potter in some way, or B, find a spot in either the movies or books where it can be used as a soundtrack. We'll read them here, or we can quiz each other. So, send them in. Thanks, guys. Uh, Let's wrap up the show today with a chicken soup Soup for the the MuggleCast. Are you mocking me? No. All right, Mr. Smarty Party Pants. Uh, Why don't you you read it from Christine19. Kristen. 19 of Penn State University. This chicken soup for the Muggle Castle comes from Kristen, 19 from Penn State University, which is in Pennsylvania. She writes, Hey, Muggle Casters. First off, I love your podcast. I started listening from the beginning, but then stopped over the summer, so now I'm catching up since last year. I just wanted to say that I don't know what I would do without the episodes of MuggleCast. I go to Penn State University, which is quite a big campus, making me walk long way to class every day. It's so awesome to listen to you guys talk about Harry Potter on my walks around campus. You guys totally make my day, and I think you're great, so keep up the good work. Oh, and I think Eric lives in Reading, right? Well, I live about an hour and a half away. Well, thanks for being my chicken soup for the Penn State student soul. Yay! Matt and I, thank you, Kristen. Uh, The reason I included this was just because Matt and I were actually... uh, at Penn State. And, uh, oh, that's right. That was cool. Yeah. Didn't we see her there? Uh, did we? Hopefully not, because that would be awkward if we didn't remember. Um, go visit, go visit Eric. He'll love to have you over. Well, funny house. story. Um, um, I don't know if Eric wants to <laughs> announce this to everyone yet, but uh, he's not actually in Reading anymore. So, but I don't know. Well, he can talk about that if he wants to. I think that just about does it for this week's episode of MuggleCast. I just want to say real quick, a little, little book update or reading update or whatever. Uh, Matt and I actually just both bought uh, Twilight today. Uh, we've talked about it on the show a couple times. It's going to be turned into a movie. Uh, three books in the series are out right now, and the fourth and final one is due out in August. And uh, we haven't started reading it yet, but I'm actually really excited to read it because all we hear is good things about it. Right, Matt? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um... I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about it on a future episode. Apparently, it's a it's a nice, easy read. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. It does uh, have very nice that. cover art. What's that? It does have very nice cover art. It does. I'm very excited to start reading. So, um, see how see how that gives me. We'll give it a little review. Um, 
I think that's about it. One other thing, one other thing I did actually want to say was just a quick thank you to everyone who, uh, goes on our MySpace and leaves messages for us. Or even if you email us through mugglecast.staff.mugglenet.com or through our feedback form. Uh, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to write to us. Unfortunately, we can't get back to everyone. We can't reply to everyone. Especially on MySpace. We, we do read the messages that are posted there, but we don't have the time to write back. Especially MySpace is so complicated with their, the, everything that they do. You know, it's kind of hard to get to everyone, but. And just reiterate, we, we do read the messages. Yeah. So if you think you're going to get away with a comment, um, we usually respond to those people. When people send something negative, yeah, we do feel tempted to respond. And, but the funny thing is, and let me just say this real quick. You guys who write into us and complain are, like, complain, complain. I'm not talking about little, like, oh, uh, you know, show stonks this way. I'm talking about, like, you guys are dead in the water. Why do you continue going on, blah, blah, blah. What's funny about these guys is they're so scared of getting a reply back, they don't even give us their email address. So if you're going to write to us and complain, at least have the courage to include your email address so we can write back a nice adult, uh, serious letter. You know, we're not going to like post your email, but like, come on, you're so scared of like our response. Like, that's not cool. If you're going to voice your concerns, at least give us the opportunity to write back with our side of the story, you know, so, but at any rate. Thank you, everyone, for, for writing to us. <laughs> we do read all your messages, and we thank you very, very much for taking the time to write to us. I just feel bad when people write to us and we don't give them a response. We do read them, and we do thank you for taking the time to write to us. Um, so, I think that's it for this week's episode. Love MuggleCast. It was a good one. We hope you enjoyed the new segments and our news discussion, and of course, chapter by chapter. We'll be back next week with... Um, more hosts, hopefully. Laura actually was supposed to be on this week's episode, but then she bailed on us last minute because she had schoolwork. Jeez, <laughs> oh, her priorities are so out of order. I know. She needs to sort out her priorities. <laughs> oh. oh, look at that. I love that scene. That's one of my favorite little little quips in the movies. Um, all right, so that does it for us this week. I'm Andrew Sims. You didn't close. Oh, shoot. I almost forgot our contact information. <laughs> Man, I'm getting so old. Well, there are numerous ways to contact us. Of course, um, we'll, we'll give you the information now. We have a P.O. Box down in Georgia. Uh, the address for that is P.O. Box 3151, Cumming, Georgia, 30028. You can t- send us anything. But Laura is hoping nobody sends her pickles. Send us gold or something like that, but not pickles, please. Uh, you can also call in to the MuggleCast hotline. To leave us a voicemail. To do that, we have a few phone numbers. If you're in the United States, you can dial 128-20-MAGIC. If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial 020-8144-0677. And if you're in Australia, you can dial 02-8003-5668. If you don't prefer prefer that, you can also Skype the username MuggleCast. No matter how you call us, just remember to keep your message under a minute. Eliminate as much background noise as possible. Send us a question that you have about the books or the series, the movie, the fandom, whatever you want. And um, we'll address those on an upcoming show if it's a good question. Uh, you can also visit MuggleCast.com for a handy feedback form to contact any one of us. You can also just directly email us at our first name at staff.mugglenet.com with the exception of Matt, who's Matthew B at staff.mugglenet.com. 
Don't forget to also visit MuggleCast.com for a variety of community outlets, including our MySpace, Facebook, YouTube, Frapper, Last.fm, and our ever-growing fan listing and forums run by the wonderful Alice and all those who do that over there. You can also dig the show at dig.com, vote for us once a month at Podcast Alley, and rate review us at Yahoo Podcasts. Whew, that was a mouthful. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening this week. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Mike Tonabo. And I'm Matthew Britton. We will see you all next week for episode 133. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, no. <laughs> Laura yeah, could manage the words to, uh, intro me intro, you know. uh, in the news center, so I just intro oh, myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Actually, I heard the uncensored version of the, the bloopers. That was even funnier. Yeah. <laughs> you have to well, keep sometimes it, it goes uncensored accidentally. How, how is it that out of all the... All the all the hosts on the show, Laura is the only one that gets to actually slide through all the censored versions, and she's the girl. Because I'm so used to hearing her curse <laughs> that I don't even pick up pick up the bad words. It's just ah, oh, Laura's just saying another word, like you know, like the word the. It's just you don't pick up on. It. Yeah. So. <laughs> and we can pick on Laura because she's not here this week. Right, she, Laura ditched us today again. She's going to hate me for that. Yeah, This is all Andrew telling us to say this, Laura, too.